what you're doing here, what you have been doing here for so many years. And Father, thank you for choosing to establish the ministry of Christ right here in our midst, that you would choose to, by your grace, extend your hand to Grace Fellowship, our people, and then through us to our community. Lord, we ask that, Lord, that grace would continue. Father, we pray that you would continue to faithfully call us to faithfulness. Father, I pray that you would faithfully continue to call us to repentance, to seek your presence and kindness, that we would seek your will together. Father, that you would continue to use your word, which you have given to us as a means of grace, that you would continue to use it to save people to persuade, convince sinners of their own sin and need for salvation, and then that you would continue to use your word to grow us in the Lord. Father, I pray that you would unite us as a body here, Lord, that you would choose to keep us united in to each other in Christ, that we would continue to look to Him, all of us, look to Him as our head. Father, I pray that as we pursue Your truth together, that You would pour out Your blessings, that we would know what it means to be in covenant with You, and that we would find strength from being in covenant with You. As was mentioned this morning, that we would find confidence and boldness from being in covenant with Father, we ask now for the presence of your Holy Spirit to be in our midst, to be within us, to preach to us, to open our hearts, to regenerate hearts that need to be regenerated, to lift up hearts that need to be lifted up, to break those people that need to be broken. We're asking you, Lord, to show your strength, your might before us. Now we humble ourselves to receive your blessings. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians today, and I know that this has been a challenging, just a challenging sermon series for you because um, I haven't been been able to consistently preach through it times that I've been gone, uh, times that Kevin has been preaching through the Old Testament, so there's been, it's been chopped up the times that I've been here, but we have made it almost through chapter 3, and we'll be finishing up chapter 3 today, but I want to share with you a couple of things, even though this has been an, an unusual trek through a book here, a couple of things why, a couple of reasons why First Thessalonians has been so important to me, and I didn't really understand exactly why I was preaching through it at first. I knew it was God's Word and therefore God would have purpose in it and there's good reason to preach through God's Word. But the main reason that I started preaching through First Thessalonians was because I heard on the radio, I heard a, 
an older pastor say that every church needs to uh, hear and be taught through First Thessalonians. And so I just thought, well, Lord, we'll see what you do with it in our church. But here's why it's been so important to me. And the first reason is, is that it has revealed to me the, the shepherd's heart within the heart of Paul the heart that he had for his people, the way that he would describe the people that he ministered to but he was no longer with in person, he called them his glory and his joy. He also wrote to them to tell them that they were going to be the people that he was going to boast about before the Lord at the Lord's coming. He called them that they would one day be his crown. And this expressed his love for his people. He also even mentioned that he gained comfort, strength, and joy from their faith. So I've been exposed in a new way to the heart of Paul, the shepherd's heart that he has for his people. And I hope that you've been exposed too to this heart that he calls all of us as ministers of Christ to share. I also wanted to mention that one thing that has been very clear through the first three chapters of this book is that Paul understands that these are God's people. And then he understands that, what's hap- that what is happening here in Thessalonica as he writes this letter is that this is God's work that's going on, that this is God's church, that God is at the center of all this, and so Paul's confidence is in the Lord as he talks about the Thessalonian people. When he's thankful for what's happening in their life, what he says is, he says, I thank God for you. When he came to preach the gospel to them, he said he came and preached to them because he was confident in the Lord, just following much suffering and persecution. And when he hears that they have kept the faith, even after he had doubts that they would keep the faith after the attacks that they were going to be put through, when he hears that they have kept the faith, he knew it was the Lord that had sustained them in the faith and that there is no other reason. And so this has been a great encouragement to me to recognize that what Paul sees and all throughout his theology and his writings, he understands that who he's writing to, they are the Lord's people. That this is God's church. And therefore he has confidence in God's people and what God's doing within them. Now this theme really gets highlighted in, verse, in chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. And so please follow along with me as we look at 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. This is the word of the Lord. Most of you in here have been to my house 
But in case you didn't realize it, or if you've never been, just to give you a, maybe this can paint a picture, my house was originally built around completely, um, everything was designed around a fireplace and a chimney, or four fireplaces but one chimney. And so if you walk into my home, there's this living parlor area and there's a fireplace that faces this room. And then if you walk to the right, you go into this bedroom area and there's a fireplace that points into that room. And then if, and if you keep walking, there's a dining room and a fireplace points to that dining room. And then there's another bedroom to the right of the dining room and a fireplace points to that room. But all of these four fireplaces share or used to share one chimney, one flue, and it's enormous. If you were to get up into the attic and look down, you would see how this was built. And so the center of this home, or the original home, we've really messed up the whole integrity of the house that Nathan Brown would really disapprove of. But the original home was built around this fireplace, and this was because this was the way to heat the house. And they were going to heat it with one chimney, one flue, and they were going to have different, different fireplaces to do that. But if you look at other older homes that are bigger than this original house, what you will find is, is that there are other living areas that could not be built around one singular chimney. So if you see these bigger homes, like for instance Nathan Brown's home that he's been working on, you will notice that there's more than one chimney. And that's because as they added more living areas to the house, they realized that this home needed to be heated in other ways. The source of heat had to get to these living spaces, and it couldn't come from just one chimney any longer. And so when they would add on to the house or when they would decide to build a bigger house, they would have another fireplace that would heat that part of the house. Now, I wanted to paint that picture, and I hope that this, that picture can carry over for us to help us understand how and why idolatry happens. And what, what we'll see today, even through this passage, is that God is at the center of all things. He's at the center of all things, and God doesn't ever move from the center of all things. Now, we may move from that center. But he's always at the center of all things. When we build part of our life disconnected or when we remove part of our life from the center, from God, what we do is we, we disconnect ourselves from the source. Or, we, or we're either living away from the source. And so the picture of my house built around this fireplace, I want to help us see that when another room is added onto a house that's not connected to that center fireplace, what has to happen? Another fireplace has to be built. Bear with me. When you build your life and it's not connected to the center, the person of God, what you have to do is you have to build something that will fuel it, that will be a source. 
So you're not only just creating part of your life, you're having to create something that will constantly feed it. This is what idolatry is. When we start moving away from the center, we have to get some kind of fuel source God to, to fill that, to make that all work. So a quick for instance, if your marriage does not revolve around the Lord, if your marriage does not revolve around His promises and His direction, then it's just existing out here somewhere. But for it to exist, it has to be fueled by something. That could be fueled by sexual satisfaction. That could be fueled by security, status, even children. And the problem is when that stuff runs its course or when that stuff falls apart altogether, then your reason for the existence of marriage then fails. There's no source. So marriage falls apart. But when your marriage is built around the center, God Himself, and we know that God doesn't run His course and He doesn't fail, what happens is the reason for the existence of marriage continues on and on and on. Because it's built around God and it's built on His promises and His purposes. And you can apply the same thing to your job, your parenting, your friendships. All of those things, if they're not revolving around God who is at the center, then you'll have to create some type of idol to get them to exist. I appreciated what Becky said today about jealousy. And I hope that you can see God's jealous desire for you is also His desire for you not to have an idol fail you. Not to have your world that's built over here, surrounded by this God that you've also had to construct to fuel this world because you've moved it away from the true source. You've built it over here. God's jealousy for you is His desire for that world not to crumble around that crumbling idol, that false God, that false temporary fuel. That's God's jealousy for you, His desire for you. So Paul addresses this theme in these three verses, and we're told this, we're told these three things that you'll see on your screen, that our path and our direction must come from God, our love for others must come from God, and our holiness must come from God. God. So here's what Paul is doing. Paul is saying this. He he is saying, I didn't create this stuff for myself, my path, my love for you, my love for others, my own growth in Christ and sanctification. He's saying, I didn't create this stuff for myself, and so I certainly can't create it for you. This must come from God. And then he also is saying, and if I can't create it for you, I want you to also see that you can't Create it for yourself. It must come from God. This is the theme of his theology. This is certainly the theme of these passages here. And so here is something that is so important to grasp and allow to be a filter in your life as you pray and as you read Scripture, even as you hear sermons. So at this very moment, this is such an important thing to grasp and use as a filter when you're being taught, when you read, when you pray. And when you look to apply all of this stuff to your life, 
make sure they come through the filter that says the Bible tells us to do, so it does tell us to do things. But let this be your filter. The Bible tells us to do that which we cannot do. That's what the Bible tells us to do. So if you so here's an example. If you read if you read this, bear one another's burdens or share one another's burdens and then you say, "Okay, I've read that. I can do that." Then you started wrong. On the wrong that first step is wrong. If you read in Matthew chapter 6, pray like this and then you read that and you say, okay, simple enough. That's how I'll pray. And you've started wrong. You've missed what Jesus was intending to teach. And so we have to put on that filter. We have to let all of this stuff come in through that filter that the Bible tells us to do that which we cannot do. So we start with this humble but this hopeful position when we remember the words of Jesus when he said, what is impossible with man is made possible by God. What's impossible with you and me is made possible with God. And we have to read and hear and pray with that kind of filter. It has to go into that. And so let's consider that as we think about this, that God is and always will be firmly planted at the center of all things. You don't get to remove him from the center. He will always be at the center. This world does not get to remove God from the center. So as this world seeks to be at the center of all things, or as as you seek to be at the center, you don't get to push God out. What happens is, we can wrongly view things, but what happens is, is that when we try to be the center, or when we try to put something else at the center, we think we're moving God out of the center, but what it means is is that we all of a sudden become people that are on the periphery. God remains in the center. He's there, and He is firmly planted at the center of all things for all time. So let's, considering that, considering that filter, Let's look at a few things. One, our path and our direction must come from God. So Paul tells us in verse 11 that he desperately wants to go to Thessalonica. We learn in chapter 2, if you remember this, Satan hindered him from going. And so there's, this ob- there, there's these obstacles in the way, but God tells the people, he says, I want to visit you. May God direct my path. May God Get me there. This phrase literally means, may God clear the path for me. So in other words, may God remove all obstacles for me to be there with you. And so Paul is telling them, he's not saying he knows for certain that he's going to go there. But he's Mm -hmm. saying if God wants him there, God will direct his path or clear his path there, his route to Them is only through God. So let's identify the problem with our following this point. And the problem is is that we make our own way. Where our path and our direction must come from God, the problem is is that we seek to make our own way. We seek to direct our own steps. And so here's a way to apply the Word of God to your heart as you consider this. 
Be very slow to trust your own motives. Be very slow to listen to your heart. And, and I tell you this, after figuring this out about myself, I'm selfish. I have some real issues. You know that about me. I have some real issues. And I'm having to continue to learn that I can't trust my own motives. That I can, do, I can do all the purifying work in my mind that I want to do about my own motives, but my motives are often tainted. My heart's desires are often tainted. I'm a mixed bag. And you are too. And as we seek to let God direct our path, clear our path, remove all obstacles, we have to realize that if we don't let Him do that, then we are going to be following a mixed bag of motives, of desires. And so as you make your plans and as you feel called to things, ask God to clear your path. And this is, this, you may have a phone call that you have to make tomorrow. Ask God to clear that path. Ask God, to, as you have that conversation, that that path is made clear. If you're pursuing some type of opportunity that you're praying beforehand, God, clear this path. Make this clear for me. Protect me from my own heart here. And if the path is clear, if Satan has cleared a path for me, Father, would you obstruct that path? Because my heart needs help. Protect me from my own Path making. And this is where Paul is. And he's saying, I don't want to end up with you in vain, so may God clear that path for me. Also in verse 12, verse 12 he says, Paul says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. So our love for others must come from God. And so as we look at this point, let's identify the problem with following this point, following Paul's words here. Our nature, the problem is our nature is going to direct our love for others to those who deserve our love or to those who make us feel good or to those who get our attention or to those who we desperately want attention from, those who identify with us or those who we identify with. With, But Paul says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. So he's saying this is not a self-generating love. He's not just telling them to love one another and generate this from your own self. He's saying let God allow this to happen. Stay away from self-generating, selfish love that is dependent on so many other Factors, the kind of love that has limits. Paul is calling them to another type of love. And he connects it directly to the Lord. And because of that, he says, may it be increase and then may it abound, which means may it go beyond capacity. So if your love comes from God, then your love for your church here will increase. And then as you love one another here, then your love will then rise and overflow into the lives of others. This is what Paul is saying. May your love increase for one another and then may it abound for one another so that it overflows to the lives of others. So if you've ever felt like your love for someone 
or if you've ever felt like your love for your church family or even your love for your own family has decreased, then know that that's because it's self-generating at that moment. That you're trying to generate your own love and it's dependent on all these other things. Or in other words, this isn't the love that Paul's talking about in verse 12. This is a Jake love. A love that I'm trying to generate. But Paul, he is calling them to a love that's beyond their capacity. Again, he's calling them to do that which they cannot do. In fact, the tense of the writing here is a writing that he is calling them to something that is out of their reach. Something they cannot grasp onto. And so as we read about loving others, even loving our enemies, it has to come through this filter. Before it gets into our mind, it has to go through the filter of the Bible is calling us to do that which we cannot do. And then lastly, on the same note, our holiness must come from God. Now notice that as God moves from telling them that their love must increase and abound in love for one another by the Lord, that that's a means of producing holiness, producing blamelessness. So not only does Paul look to God to clear his own path, not only does, God, not only does Paul look to God to increase the love of the church, but he also looks to God to establish blameless hearts, to establish holiness, to prepare them for the coming of Christ when he comes again with the saints that have all gone before us. And this word, when he says establish your hearts blameless, this word establish means to plant and to fix. And often this word was used for, it was an agriculture term. And so it was used in farming and different things to establish a crop for the purpose of flourishing. And so here's a way to look at this. I have a vine in my front yard. It's a Carolina jasmine vine. And I love this vine. I have just babied it for five, uh, almost six years now as I've trained it to grow up a column and this, this that, and the other to follow up a trellis. Now, the key to that vine flourishing and doing well, one was for it to be planted, to be established, but also to be fixed to something, to be fixed to this trellis. And if it was not fixed to this trellis, what would happen is, is that this vine would begin to just grab on to anything that it saw. So in other words, as the planter, I had to refuse the mind of this vine. And I had to get it to grow in that direction where it did not want to grow. And if, it, and if I let it take on a mind of its own, what it would do is this vine would start to grow on all these other shrubs. And it, would be, and it would begin to grow on the ground, which would create no beauty whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, as it grew on these shrubs, it would begin to take away beauty instead of the planter's purpose of allowing it to flourish and create beauty. So... If you're creating your own holiness, 
If you're looking to be blameless by your own means, what you will do is you will begin to take away beauty rather than reflect beauty, rather than produce beauty. So if you're a creator of your own holiness, what that means is is that you're strangling others around you. You're hurting others. You're making others see ugliness. You're pressuring others. And you're not complimenting them. So this is all to say our holiness must come from God as we pursue and as we walk in the Spirit through the means of grace. And we, so we should understand that God has planted us and then we are fixed to Him. And if we're not fixed to Him, then we're going to pursue according to our own mind and our own wisdom. And as we grow and even as we look to do the right things, what we're going to do is we're going to harm others by doing it. But as we pursue and walk in the Spirit through the means of grace, things like the Word, the sacraments, fellowship of the church, discipleship, prayer, then we'll flourish. Because if you are in Christ, if you know Him, and if He knows you, and you let Him know you, which is a great gift, by the way, for you to let Christ into your heart in such a way where He actually shows you who you are, he knows you, then God will be making you holy. He will be causing you to flourish according to His will, according to His plan. So whether you're suffering, whether you're healthy, God is preparing you for the coming of your bride. He is preparing you as the bride of the bridegroom who is coming. This is the faithfulness of the Lord to our holiness according to His will, His work. So just to close here, God has established His ministry. We're going back to something I said at the beginning. God has established His ministry and His glory in Christ where? In the center of all things. He is always at the center. As our lives and our faith, all aspects of everything that we do, as they are built firmly connected to that center, then we will know. And this is the only way we'll know this. If we're building over here, if we're disconnected over here, if we're looking for something else to fuel us, we won't know this. But if we build everything around the center as God moves and works in us, then we will know the presence and the power of the Creator, who is our Redeemer, and then who is our friend. He's there. He's there. And so the question is, where are you? Are you in the center, the true center? Are you just in your, are you, have you just tried to create the center for yourself? Are you in the true center? Because He's there, and His Spirit, His Spirit invites you draws you and pulls you there. He's calling you. He's calling you to cling on to the sinner so that he can be your source. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your jealousy for us, that you, tr- you truly long and even fight, pursue, fight for, pursue us so that our lives are completely built around you, connected to you. You're jealous for us so that we are not pursuing a life built around idols, gods that we've created that are crumbling all around us. Thank you, the living God, for saving us, redeeming us, for growing us in holiness. We pray in Jesus' name.